please, and <clears throat> turn to the book of Malachi. And two Sunday evenings ago, we got about halfway through the message, just about exactly halfway through the message, um, and tonight we hope to finish that, and so that'll be it for the message of messages on Christ in the Old Testament. And um, chapter 4, and verses, we'll start, we'll start in verse 1, and verse, read the, the whole chapter, six short verses, we'll uh, emphasize a couple of those in, this, in the message tonight. But here's a good, ex- a good example and sample of a, the message of the prophets, message of judgment, message of comfort, message for the day, message for the days ahead. All these things kind of rolled into one. But chapter 4 says this, For behold, the day cometh that shall burn as an oven. Obviously talking about the day of the Lord, the day of God's judgment. And all the proud, yea, and all that do wickedly shall be stubble. Think about that, what that's going to be like. The proud, the ones that are running around our country, just mocking God, the Bible, Christians, the Lord Jesus, all that sort of thing, doing their proud, wicked, immoral works, they're going to be like stubble. They should be like stubble. In other words, what you use to kindle a fire. Right? And that day that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts, and that it shall leave them neither root nor branch. In other words, they're going to be no remembrance. But unto you that fear my name, that's the remnant, Shall the Son of Righteousness arise with healing in his wings, and you shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall. So blessing upon God's people. And you shall tread down the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet in the day that I shall do this, saith the Lord of hosts. Remember ye the law of Moses my servant, which I commanded unto him in Horeb for all Israel with the statutes and judgments. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet, for the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children, and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. A lot in there. But we're going to just emphasize some things about Christ personally tonight. Father, thank you so much for the word of God, how precious it is, and how true it is, how accurate it is, and powerful. We're thankful for it. Please bless our time. We're thankful for the Holy Spirit who has a, a great ministry of taking the word of God and illuminating our hearts and minds and then also helping us to proclaim that word. And so, Father, we ask thy blessing upon the service tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, last two Sunday nights ago, rather, from chapter 3, we, we talked a bit, a bit about John the Baptist's ministry. That's, he was the forerunner of Christ, and he's prophesied in Malachi, and well, as well as in um, Isaiah. And then we looked at the ministry of the Son of Righteousness in, in uh, Malachi 4 and verse 2. And uh, passages like Hebrews chapter 1, where he is the brightness of his glory, shining forth. Matthew 4, which says, They that walked in darkness have seen a great light. John chapter 8, where Jesus Uh, dealt with the woman, forgave the woman, saved the woman who was caught in in adultery, and then said this, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. And so then we left off, we didn't get to the second part of the description of Jesus in Malachi 4.2, this prophecy of him, 
where it says, the son of righteousness, or shall the son of righteousness arise with healing in his wings. And so Jesus Christ there is called S-U-N, the son, like the sun, and it's the idea of the Lord Jesus, like the sun rising up and uh, shedding forth its light upon the earth. And we often, you know, we talk about the day, the sunrise, or we use the expression, the dawning of a new day. Well, the Lord Jesus Christ when he came to earth the first time, certainly brought in the dawning of a new day, right? And healing in his wings. And so, to, right at this point, I want us to take a look a little bit and, and emphasize the healing ministry of the Lord uh, Jesus Christ. And so we're going to take a look at Matthew chapter 8, first of all, and realize we read those accounts in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, of the great things that Jesus did and how, you know, there was no disease that was too much for him. Um, probably in those days, there were all kinds of things that were going on. I mean, but let's, in Matthew chapter 8, um, probably at least one of the most dreaded diseases was that of leprosy. And it ate away at people's bodies and so on. And they died a long, painful, awful death. And and kind of remind a little bit like cancer today and what cancer does and how it devastates people's bodies. And just imagine, if you will, that someone came on the scene today and would go around everywhere there were cancer patients to just heal them. And uh, their disease is gone. They're restored. You know, when Jesus healed a leper, he just didn't get rid of the disease. He reversed the effects. I, can't, I mean, I, I can't, can't help but... Believe that that when if he touched a leper and he had fingers missing and all that they would they would be restored and the Bible says he made them whole which means perfectly healthy all right so Matthew chapter eight and we're going to take a look at this because Matthew eight is is uh, given as a fulfillment of a prophecy uh, in fact there are several healings that Jesus did. In Matthew chapter 8, but we'll just take a look at one of them, starting in verse 14. Matthew chapter 8 and verse 14, And when Jesus was come into Peter's house, he saw his wife's mother laid and sick of a fever. All right, so Peter's mother-in-law. And he touched her hand, and the fever left her, and she arose and ministered unto them. Not, not, not always the case, but oftentimes a fever, it's not just a fever. There's something else that causes the fever. So we would say that when the Lord Jesus got rid of the fever, he got rid of whatever else was accompanying the fever. Like I said, fevers usually don't just come by themselves sometimes. And so she got up and ministered unto them. And if you've ever had a fever... Normally it takes a while, then it breaks and all that, but you don't usually just hop right out of bed and, you know, but she did because Christ healed her directly, instantly, completely. All right, now, verse 16, when the, when the even was come, they brought unto him many that were possessed with devils. That might have been maybe more dreadful than leprosy, but it was a dreaded thing. And I've had people say, and maybe you're thinking, well, what, how come? Why were there so many demon-possessed people today and there aren't, there, aren't, there aren't so many today? Oh, really? I think there might be more today than there were in Jesus' day. We just don't look at it that way. Certainly our society doesn't. But in that day, that culture 
recognized the presence and the power of Satan and what he could do. Now it's all put under mental illness for the most part. You know, schizophrenia, multiple personalities, all that kind of thing. And I'm not saying those things don't, don't exist, but I'm going to tell you something, folks. Jesus Christ didn't matter him. He could just, he just healed everything, all right? And so, anyway, the power, the power of the Word of God, the power of the Holy Spirit, the power of the gospel is still with us today. And there have been, you know, there's, I've, I've seen a few people in my lifetime really, you know, heal if you want to call it that, uh, but delivered from the power of the devil, no matter what the situation they were in. All right? And there were things in those days, immorality, there were things that would open up avenues for the devil, just like today. Many things, drugs and music, and there's immorality as well, all kinds of things that people get involved in that open the door for Satan and demons to come in. But anyway... Those that were, many that were possessed of devils, and he cast out the spirits with his word and healed all that were sick. There was a time when I was growing up and as a teenager that there seemed to be a lot, uh, well, a lot more emphasis, faith healers. There seemed to be a lot more of them. Maybe there's still some today. Maybe I've just quit listening to them, but. The, the main difference between faith healers and Jesus was Jesus, wherever the sick were, that's where he was. Now, sometimes they brought him to Jesus, but oftentimes as he went about his ministry, he just came upon them. He healed them. By the way, there was no, you know, send me a gift or whatever like that. He just did it. He healed them, right? Now, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah, the prophet saying, himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. All right, now I want us to keep that in mind, that phrase or that clause, himself took our, our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. All right, with that in mind, go to the book of Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah chapter 53, this is where, this is what Matthew quotes All right, Isaiah chapter 53. Notice it says in verse 4, we're going to take a look at verse 4 for a minute, and then we're going to take a look at verse 5, and there's an important distinction between verse 4 and verse 5. All right, surely, verse 4, he hath borne our griefs, and carried our sorrows, and the words, the Hebrew words translated griefs and sorrows are words that describe physical ailments. And griefs is the idea of sicknesses, sorrows is the idea of pain. But it's, it, they're, they're used in the physical aspect of it, all right? So yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. That's a whole other subject there. We covered that months ago. So verse 4 is talking about Jesus' healing ministry. And that's why Matthew, led by the Holy Spirit, quotes verse 4 regarding Jesus' healing ministry. All right? It's, and it's significant that he did not quote verse 5. Verse 5, but he was wounded for our transgressions. 
He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes, we are healed. All right. There are those who, who trust in and preach that Jesus' death on the cross, the atonement included physical healing. So that if a Christian is sick and they don't get healed, it's because they don't have enough faith. You know, you've heard that probably, right? Have, has any of you heard, have any of you ever read that or heard that in books or programs? A lot of the back in the, like back in the day, there was a lot more of this being proclaimed all over the place. That if people are Christians are sick and they don't get better, it's because they don't have the faith. All right. Well, very seldom in the Bible did Jesus ever heal anyone in response to their faith. He just went out and healed. He didn't go around saying, do you have faith? No, he just healed them, except for some who came to him and demonstrated their faith. All right, so but, no, so it's interesting that if people, this is one of those things, um, we need to take the, let the word of God be the authority and realize what it does say and what it doesn't say. It's, so it's very significant that Isaiah prophesying of Christ's earthly ministry Verse 4 is all about physical healing. Verse 5 is about salvation. In other words, spiritual healing. All right? There are no promises in the New Testament that Christians are always going to enjoy good health and that we're never going to get sick, or that if we do get sick, we're always going to be healed. Now, I heard one of those scoundrels, and that's what I'll call them, on the radio one time saying, yes, when Paul had the thorn in the flesh and he besought the Lord thrice, that the reason why God didn't take it away is because Paul didn't have enough faith. Now, I think of anybody, I would never, I don't think anybody here would either, I would never call into question Paul's faith. He's got more, he had more faith than probably all the rest of us in this room put together. Or he needed it because of the ministry God gave him, the grace God gave him. So I've heard some of these crazy things, but there are those. And I'll tell you what, is, is this a problem today? Yes. One time I've, I visited, of course, the guy in Dallas, Harry. Jeffries, and he has quite a ministry, quite an impact. And most of us believe that that's probably why he didn't get out, because God has a great ministry for him in there. But anyway, the, there was a time, and it's still going on, there's a huge group of people in that prison who believe that, that Christ died for our sicknesses as well as for our sins. And so they're, they're broadcasting this. There's all kinds of stuff going on in there. But it's really, it's a false doctrine, and it's very subtle, but it's, it's very serious, and it's very dangerous, all right? Again, to tell people that if you don't get healed, it's because you don't have enough faith, all right? Now, he was wounded for our transgressions, all right? Now, I want us to go to um, the First Peter chapter 2. This is, all, this is part of Christ's healing ministry. His, his ministry included physical healing. He did heal people. But that's not all his ministry included. There was a spiritual healing, and, and we understand, and we, we, we realize that it, it would be a tragedy for someone to be healed physically, but not spiritually. All right? And there are those who believe that everyone Jesus healed was saved. I can't see that in the scripture. He healed multitudes. They didn't all get saved. Um, they should have, but his mercy, 
By the way, the Bible says in Romans, the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. So Jesus, one of the reasons he healed people was to, to let, so they would know who he was and would come to him for something more important. That is salvation. All right, he fed the multitudes, and he, they came to him. They wanted to have him be king. And he said, labor not for the meat that perisheth, but for the meat which endureth unto eternal life. All right. Certainly Jesus would have saved them all. But, he, but they did not come to him. For, all right. Now, 1 Peter chapter 2, speaking about Christ. Let's back up to, or go to verse 19. 1 Peter chapter 2. For this is thankworthy if a man for conscience toward God endure grief, suffering wrongfully. Right. For what glory is it if when ye be buffeted for your faults, you take it patiently? In other words, if you get, if you get in trouble because you did something wrong... That's, that's just the way it is. But if when you do well and suffer for it, you take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow his steps. And we're just giving a little bit of the background of Jesus Christ and his attitude, and that we're supposed to have that same attitude. Who did no sin, and we're, neither was guile found in his mouth. And so... Uh, the, the, one of the, the great themes of the book of 1 Peter is when Christians suffer for their faith and when they suffer wrongfully, all right, when they suffer with, without deserving it. And, then, and so Peter talks about that here. He says, look, if you get in trouble because you do something wrong, that's one thing. There's no glory in that. But if you, if you do well and suffer for it and take it patiently, that's acceptable with God, all right? And again... As in everything else, who is, who is the supreme example? The Lord Jesus Christ. Notice this, verse 22, Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. And so we know that Jesus Christ never, ever sinned in thought, word, or deed. Never. All, everything he did was right. Everything he said was right. His very thoughts were pure, holy, completely. All right? That's, that's great. It's wonderful to think about that. We had a sinless Savior who came to this earth and he lived among men and he never ever sinned. But he was reviled, wasn't he? Verse 23, who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not. In other words, I'll get you, you'll get yours. But committed himself to him that judgeth righteously right and the lord the bible says here we're called to follow in his steps and so we're supposed to do the same thing we are not supposed to respond when we are when we suffer or threatened or anything like that when we get reviled we are not supposed to retaliate right we're supposed to do what he did do what's right commit ourselves to him right to him that judgeth or judgeth righteously then here it is 24, who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye were healed. All right? Now that's a direct connect quote or direct reference to Isaiah 53, 5 and 6 and so on. That Christ died for our sins. You know, he didn't bear our diseases or, or, or sicknesses in his own body, he bore our sins. 
And so again, the healing referred to here is not healing of the body, but healing of the soul and spirit through salvation. Now, but there is one aspect of physical healing that is in what Christ did, and that's future. When we go to heaven, our body, in fact, well, we don't have to wait till we get there. I mean, if we die before the Lord comes, we have some kind of a body. Second Corinthians tells us that. But when Jesus comes, we're going to actually be like him before we see him, right? Because we're going to be transformed in a moment, and then we're going to meet the Lord in the air. Whose stripes you're healed. And so that, that includes our future. As Paul refers to it in Romans, the adoption to wit, or that is, the redemption of our body. See, our body, the redemption of our body has been provided for, but we have not realized it yet. Quite the contrary, our bodies are decaying, you know, by the day, getting old, aging, and so on. But praise the Lord, we're, we're healed by his stripes. Our sins are washed away. For ye were as sheep going astray, but are now returned unto the shepherd and bishop of your souls. And again, Sheep going astray, Isaiah 53, 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Praise the Lord for that, what he's done for us. And so that was prophesied throughout the Old Testament. All right, back to Malachi for one, one further thing. There is a prophecy also in Malachi, chapter 4, of a future ministry of Elijah. And verse Malachi 4, 5. This, is, this relates to, to the ministry of Christ. Obviously, Elijah is not Jesus. But behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. In other words, so lest, so the, lest the world just totally depart from God, John or Elijah's ministry would be to turn people back to the Lord, especially, of course, in Israel. All right, so let's take a look at Mark chapter 9. And then we're going to take a look at a passage in Luke, and we will be finished all right, for tonight. Mark chapter 9. <clears throat> And starting in verse 11. <clears throat> By the way, this, is after, this, was, after, this was after the, the transfiguration when they saw Jesus glorified. So verse 11, And they asked him, that is the disciples, saying, what, Why say the scribes that Elias or Elijah must first come? And he answered and told them, Elias verily cometh first and restoreth all things, and how it is written of the Son of Man, how that he must suffer many things and be set at naught. So, so in other words, Jesus is saying, they're saying, well, you know, why does the Bible say that Elijah or Elias will first come? Jesus said, he will. But what you need to be aware of is what's going to happen to the Son of Man. In other words, he's saying, 
He's saying to them, you know, you're concerned about the prophecy about Elijah coming. And what about the prophecies about me suffering? See, they still didn't get it. And they didn't like that. They just rejected it where he said, all right? But I say unto you, verse 13, that Elias is indeed come. And they have done unto him whatsoever they listed, as whatever they wanted, as it is written of him. All right? And so, in another passage, the Lord said, Elias has come already. So John the Baptist came, and the angel Gabriel, in fact, let's go back to Luke 1, or over to Luke 1, and we'll see that. Um, so the angel Gabriel told Zacharias, who would become, who would be John the Baptist's father, um, that this child would come in the power of Elijah or Elias. All right, Luke 1.11. And there appeared unto him, that is Zacharias, an angel of the Lord, standing in the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said unto him, Fear not, Zacharias, for thy prayer is heard, and thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son, and thou shalt call his name John. And thou shalt have joy and gladness, and many shall rejoice at his birth. For he shall be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink, and he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost even from his mother's womb. Remember that? And when Mary went to visit Elizabeth, the child leaped in her womb, in Elizabeth's womb. That's the idea there. Even before he was born, he, he, would, he would be filled with the Holy Ghost. Um, and many of the children of Israel shall he turn to the Lord their God. And he shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elias. All right. Notice that many of the children of Israel, this, this aspect of Elias is fulfilled in John the Baptist. But notice he shall turn to the Lord their God, and he shall go before him. So him is Jesus in verse 17. And he is the Lord their God, because it's a, it's a direct, there's a direct connection. He shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elias to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And in Matthew, Jesus outright said, this is Elias, which was for to come. So John, or Jesus himself said, that John's coming was the fulfillment of that prophecy. Oh yeah, and yet there could, there might be, an, and some, I just want to throw this out as a, as a possibility, um, some believe that Elijah's coming before the great and dreadful day of the Lord will be fulfilled when Elijah appears on earth as one of the two witnesses in Revelation 11. There's a lot of good Bible scholars and through the years and even today, that's, that still believe that, that, he, that Elijah may be one of those two witnesses. And it talks about some of the miracles that they will do and so forth. That could be. That's not anti-biblical. Um, but anyway, whatever the case may be, the prophecy was fulfilled, first of all, in John. Okay? Now, one of the reasons they hold a literal appearing of Elijah is it talks about that great and dreadful day of the Lord, which will be shortly after those two witnesses appear. It's before that great, the great day of the Lord, and the Lord comes to judge. Oh, well, all right. Well, anyway, um, we thank God. Thank God. This, all this is all about Jesus Christ, the Son of Righteousness, 
with healing in his wings, and we thank God for that. By the way, we, we can, the Lord still can heal. The Lord does heal. Many, many times he heals, and we've, we've talked about how, you know, we have somebody's going for surgery, somebody's sick, we, you know, we, we put it through the prayer chain, and we, and we think about, and I've come to the point where I really, I say, Lord, Father, please, you know, just one more, one more, one more, and God heals. Sometimes he does, and sometimes he heals by taking the person home, and that's a healing. I'm not just making, making words. When God takes somebody home, that is the ultimate healing. Because they're never, ever, ever going to be sick again, right? So, but we can pray, all right? Why is it? I think, you know, these are things that we need to think about in our lives, all right? Two people are sick. We pray for both of them. One gets healed, the other dies, goes home. And if I'm talking about, I'm talking about Christian people now. And the person dies and goes home to be the Lord. So why did God heal the one and take the other home? Is it because we didn't have enough faith? Is it because the one person was, you know, doing something bad and God, no, those things come in our mind. They can't. They mustn't. Simply because God chose it was time for one to go. You know, it's appointed unto men once to die. So, but, you know, again, we pray, right? We pray. Paul, there wasn't, there, Paul was not being sinful or disobedient or whatever. He wasn't being rebellious when he asked God to take away his thorn in the flesh. But God didn't take it away because God knew it was better for him to have that affliction. I started to say infirmity and affliction that came out infliction, but, but you know what I mean. And Paul came to understand we may not in this life, but Paul came to understand there in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, he was a better servant of God. He was more effective for the Lord because of his infirmity, not in spite of it, all right? On the other hand, you have somebody like Job. There's no record in Scripture that God ever, Job ever found out why. The book of Job doesn't say, I mean, it tells us why. You know, God used Job to prove to the devil how strong true faith is. Anyway, those are just some, you know, thoughts regarding our life. I mean, these things, we think about these things, right? We pray for a dear loved one and God takes them home, all right? Well, that's because he knew best. And so it's a great thing. Well, so the Lord Jesus came the first time and accomplished everything the prophets said he would, especially providing our salvation. Realize every prophecy that talked about Christ's first coming has been fulfilled in every detail. And that makes us realize and, and believe and trust that he will accomplish the rest at his second coming. Do you know, one of the, I, I think about the ministry of John the Baptist and, and what I love about him. One of the things about him is that he said, Behold the Lamb of God. When they came in and said, Are you the Christ? No. Are you the prophet? No. Are you Elijah? No. What are you? <laughs> I'm a voice. All right, I'm a voice. And what, what, more, what better thing for us to do to point people to, to Jesus, like John said, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. May, may God help us as we're out there. And even as, as the world, society around us seems to be crumbling, seems to be getting worse and worse and more ungodly all the time, there will be lights in the world, in the darkness of the world. doesn't matter what kind of, what kind of life that we have, 
we're going to find we're going to confront darkness in our own families in the workplace wherever we might be we're going to confront darkness like i said this morning let's not just curse the darkness let's turn on the light the light of the lord jesus all right amen all right father in heaven thanks so much for this time you could be here again tonight we're thankful for the beautiful hymns how they minister to us and father we trust that they also bring glory to thy name and, and they also prepare us to receive the word we thank thee for the word of god this night we thank thee for these prophecies of jesus christ those that we looked at that have been fulfilled completely and those that will be f- fulfilled yet in the future but, but lord help us to be even like malachi a witness of the lord and jesus the light of the world and john the baptist who pointed people to christ may we point people to christ as well Even like Andrew, he first findeth his own brother Simon, and he brought him to Jesus. May we be that in our lives. Watch over everybody tonight, Lord. Keep them safe as we go home. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, hymn number 269. 